Bienvenue dans The Wave. The appearance of the ninth art form, comic books, on the African continent can be dated to the end of the 19th century when the first modern illustrated stories were published in Egyptian newspapers. At the time, the press in Mauritius and South Africa also published numerous cartoons and drawings featuring colorful scenes, dialogues, and juxtapositions of images. In the 1950s, the African comic book sector began to take shape. In the politically charged context of decolonization and the non-aligned movement, African artists and illustrators, such as Higazi and Ehab in Egypt, and Ismail Ait Jafar in Algeria, emerged and the comic book became a political means to spread a message and articulate opinions. In Nigeria in the mid-1950s, for example, the comic book Joseph's Holiday Adventure appeared in the Daily Times with the support of the United Africa Company, whose stated aim was to garner support from political figures in countries then struggling for independence. With independence in the 1960s, the telling of Africa's pre-colonial history blossomed. The idea was to purge the continent of the effects of colonial influence in pedagogic terms, in continuity with the ideology of authenticity that was then in vogue. So it was that the Malagasy cartoonist Jean Ramamonjisoa illustrated a comic book entitled Ni Ombala Hibemaso, which told the story of a king's establishment of the Malagasy nation. The 80s and 90s were marked by economic and structural crises on the continent, and the comic book genre was affected by them insofar as it depended upon the publishing sector, which was devastated by so-called structural adjustment program. Financing was scarce and political controls tightened. With the advent of television, the world of animation arrived on the continent. Regardless, for reasons of the technical requirements of animation, African television channels purchased animated content from Europe and the Americas. With the Afro-pessimism that characterized the late 1990s and early 2000s, the African continent was depicted as a place where obscurantism and backwardness reigned supreme. Certain writers defied these stereotypes to propose new animated histories that better reflected the realities of their respective countries. In 2005, the Ivorian screenwriter Marguerite Aboué published Aya de Yopogon, a series that relayed the everyday lives of a group of teenagers in the Yopogon neighborhood of Abidjan in the late 1970s. This achievement stemmed from the desire of the artist to give voice to a more realistic representation of life in Côte d'Ivoire. Aya de Yopogon received the first place prize at the Festival of Agoulême, dedicated to comic books and animated films. In 2011, the adaptation of the comic book into a cartoon film was done with the assistance of Aboué's husband, the French illustrator Clément Aubrey. That film re received the Caesar Award for Best Animated Film in 2014. More recently, African animated films have met with great success, drawing investments and co-producers and animation studios in the West. There are now schools dedicated to animation on the continent, the most long-established ones being in South Africa. In 2019, Kenya opened its first animation studio in Nairobi. Known as Cretech Animation, it is dedicated to cartoons and video games. In 2020, the school began a partnership with Gili Africa. At the start of 2021, 
Netflix partnered with the French animation school Les Gobelins to offer six scholarships for a master's class for African animators. It is clear that the development of the cartoon industry in Africa depends upon two fundamental elements, financial and technical capacity, and the transmission of knowledge and expertise. Of the four cartoonists on our panel today, two are almost entirely self-taught. The panel will talk about the potential for animated films to tell the African story and to change the conversation on the continent and its people. They will also discuss the question of the future of animation in Africa in a post-COVID world, as well as the critical issue of sharing expertise in the sector. taking up. Most importantly, how to develop a strong market at home. My name is Adebinkwe Adebambo. I'm a Nigerian and I'm the founder and creative director of Adebinkwe Adebambo Production. I'm a trained visual artist and last year I was the first artistic director for the Lagos International Festival of Animation and my animation shorts Tejumade, which I wrote, produced, directed in 2017, has been screened at and nominated in Best Animation categories at over 20 international film festivals. And in Lagos alone, it has been seen by over 20,000 children at different um, events in the schools and all. And as a blogger and a writer, I've um, written over 250 articles and interviewed about 80 African filmmakers for national and international print and online publications and on my own blog. So I'm very pleased to host this episode of The Wave on the African animation industry and its takes in the global market. I'm delighted to welcome the members of our panel for today's discussion. So um, Olivier Madiba, is a Cameroonian entrepreneur. He founded Kiro Games, a company that created video games inspired by African mythology. His company has led successful fundraising campaigns and attracted investors from the Silicon Valley. Welcome, Olivier. Next is Frederick Kikali Kwashe is Ghanaian. He's self-taught. He learned how to make cartoons from a computer and a program. And his company, Eye Candy Factory, has worked on over 300 animations with more than 40 companies across the world. He has been ever working closely, um, very closely with Hollywood on numerous animations, and at the same time trying to help to grow the animation sector in Ghana. So welcome, Frederick. Thank you. Thanks. And another lady on the panel, Kabelu Maka, is a South African animation director, 2D animator, illustrator, and an animation lecturer. She is the co-founder and creative director of Tableau Studios, an award-winning animation and illustration studio based in Johannesburg, South Africa. 
Pablo Studios creates medical animation by using the charm of animation to simplify medical content, making it entertaining. And um, Pablo Studios has worked with companies such as Sanofi and Outrun, among others. So welcome, Cabello. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. So um, we're going to go straight into it. Now we're still in this pandemic that hit us all differently at, um, in 2020. So um, how did the, the first questions, the first questions, excuse me rather, did the pandemic and the lockdown um, affect your business? So we're going to go with um, Olivia first. Um, so the, pandem the pandemic affected uh, our business uh, at the beginning because uh, we had to lock down. We were not sure if, Cameroonian will be hit and we don't want we didn't want it to take the risk. So we had to lock down the previous year and we lose like three to four months of work. Wow. And um, after that we also have a lot of down uh, how do you call it? downgrade in our sales internationally because uh, we sell our comics more outside Africa with Amazon and it was really hard on this part. But uh, it's good because we have a lot of other stuff. So we have to manage to focus more on the digital content of the studio than the physical one. So that's how the pandemic affected us. But the good thing is also, because there is a good part in the pandemic for us, is the fact that uh, right now people are really more uh, educated to Zoom call. So now we can make a lot of networking with high people only on Zoom. It was impossible three years ago. People were like, come to France, come to United States, we have to talk. So mm -hmm. this is one of, we try to, to see the positive. Okay, great. Um, so Fred, could you share your own experience with us? Uh, yeah, of course, the, the COVID-19 the COVID had an impact on how we do things. But since we started with Icandy Factory, a lot of the people uh, we have a lot of outsourced people and people that aren't necessarily in like around us. So it did not affect us as much as a studio that would require like people to come all the time. We have a lot of people like background designers that don't necessarily come to the studio to do it. They could do it at home, then send it over via mail. Then when we have meetings, we have meetings over Zoom or over WhatsApp, decide what we're going to do. So when we are doing the jobs for clients, we have the clients tell us what he wants to do over the Zoom meeting, and then we dispatch the, the tasks, and we use things like uh, monday.com to make the uh, what is going to happen during the timing, the timeline, the budget, and everything that's going to happen. We do it remotely. So the COVID-19 came, and it was a little bit hard, but we adjusted quite easily to be able to do things digitally without meeting each other. That was how it was for us. Oh, well, great. Cabello, how was it for you? Uh, thank you for the question. Um, for us, the pandemic actually ended up being a good thing, even though it was um, a bad thing for the whole world. Um, uh, one of the only negative things that kind of happened was the one animator who was with us here, because we have a home studio, uh, she had to then work from home. And so we needed to give her access to the animation software from home. Um, and then we had just released our first short film, Three Teaspoons of Sugar. And so the plan was to do a countrywide tour of the, mm -hmm. the short film. 
Um, so we had to uh, scrap that and we decided to distribute our short film online. But some of the positive things that came because of the pandemic was that um, we actually didn't struggle too much in having a digital pipeline because of a lot of a lot of what we were doing was already online. You know, where we upload our files, how we organize production, it was already online. And okay. then um, we had already had an animator who was working remotely. So uh, during that pandemic, she became full-time. And then this year, we also hired another animator who's, uh, I'm in Johannesburg and he's in Cape Town. And then one major thing that also happened was our short film, Three Teaspoons of Sugar, it got selected to Annecy. We were so excited and then, yeah. then there was a pandemic and then we couldn't go yeah. to France, but then the festival became virtual. And so we were able to meet lots of people through the festival. And um, like what Olivier said, we also managed to increase our network, our international network by meeting people online. And so for us, um, the pandemic, it actually ended up being our most productive year, despite uh, all that was happening around the world. Oh, wow, great, yes. As you've all said, it came um, it came with some positives. I mean, even though it came with other things, uncertainty, anxiety, but since people who work in the digital world and animation and all, um, most of the work we do is facing the screen. We can really pretty much, and quite a number of us on some of our projects, we've worked remotely with people, but there are times that in-person meetings, they really can't take um, the place of going through Zoom because either people are muted or their connections are off or something, but at least we try to make do of what we um, we had. Okay, so the next question is for Olivier. So gaming has become a really big thing with games like Fortnite by Epic Games, making so much money. And then also their gamers, you know, also making money through tournaments. Um, children have gotten super addicted and there are even ban wars, you know, um, with respect to this Fortnite with the likes of Apple, Google Play. Do you see our own games here in Africa? and yours especially, reaching these great heights and becoming um, really popular across the world? Since we're now, I um, mean, the world is a village now, I mean. Yes, um, I see a lot of potential in the African gaming. I will picture it like this. Uh, by 2030, we see, I have made uh, some studies case with Huawei, partner, in partnership with Huawei, where we see 100, there will be like 400 million people playing on their smartphone in Africa. And depending on how internet make it, we will have a lot of cloud gaming. So it will, um, it will cut the, the barrier of the hardware because you will not be, uh, you can play now games with high quality graphics and et cetera without high quality telephone. It's just a matter of yeah. connection. And uh, when this will happen, uh, it will, open all the barriers, technical barriers of gaming studio. And uh, you will have like 400 million player with 100 million player paying like 0.18 USD per week to get some extra stuff in the game. But, uh, and it's like 1.3 billion USD. But the, the thing is, I believe you have, there is like a challenge because the people who own the smartphone today, like 60% or 70% are young adults. And I know with all my um, 
co co geek on the on the podcast that geek people in our generation are really rare. So young adults today, they are not really geek people. So if you come to them and you give them fantasy games, etc., like Fortnite, you will not see a lot of uh, users. But um, you can give them something else, like games based on their social reality. That's something we are trying to do. And you can give them, for example, games to date. Like if you invent the game that will make people doing dates, funny dates, virtual dates in Africa, you will get something. I think you will really get something. There will maybe, and this is the kind of project that can go very far. And if you want to make the fantasy game go far, like Fortnite, you have to target the kids of today in Africa. So the people under 14, and to build the culture. So when you are in 10 years, you have the community you want. But Africa is the next big place for gaming. Uh, it will just. I will finish quickly. The challenge African studio have is like, everyone know that, but everyone with money is waiting outside the pool. Like we want to see how you do without our money. I think every creator have the same problem, even in comics and uh, animation. They are like, okay, succeed first, we fund later. The African youth malediction, I call it. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's, will I say, maybe unfortunate is not the word, but it would be nice to see more people more companies taking risks or trying to support um, creators, um, even when they don't necessarily know what the future um, holds as, as it were, because everybody wants to wait until you are successful before they jump in. And well, I mean, I know that it's their money, but if everyone was doing that for everything, there's some things that won't work because some people just staked and I mean, they put some, some of their support and at least they ripped um the benefits. Okay, the next question for you, we're still on Olivier now. Um, how are you able to break in, into the gaming industry? And um, did you have to draw people in first through um, comics or animation, or you went directly to gaming? Okay, I went directly to gaming in 2013 as a professional studio, but I was amateur game designer since 2003. What happened was timing. Uh, we, we say that the wave of the indie gaming industry where you can make games from your home, and sell it on internet. It was the right timing to do it. And uh, so that was our market windows. Uh, the thing is in Cameroon, I didn't have any school training people how to make games. So what we have built is we take people, for example, artists who know how to draw on paper comics, okay. and we train them in three or six months to become game artists. And uh, that's, on, that's one of our greatest innovation, how to build this training pipe, pipeline to get the stuff everyone see. And it's also the same thing for the coder. So I can say that I, I, I went straight to gaming, but by using a talent that were available in comics, in fact, and animation, but amateur one, some professional. Well, that's great. So um, you said you yourself, you had to learn on your own and here you are, um, trying to even build, um, doing capacity building, you know, which is, is um, great. So um, your next question is, 
how is the environment for comics, animation, and gaming in Cameroon? Do you have um, government or private um, sector support? Okay, for the gaming part, uh, it took us like five years to build a legitimacy, if I can say like this. Uh, so right now, people, because of us, start to know that there is a huge potential in gaming, but we had to fight five years in the dark for that. When wow. we started, it was like, oh, this guy have make a hysterical um, common crisis. So people were like, you are crazy, you will never make it, etc. But right now, we have a lot of parents calling us, telling, oh, my kid wants to make video games, can he come and see how you do it? And mm -hmm. I, no, and my kid wants to make uh, comics. Etc. So uh, we have the duty to to build in Cameroon Hero Game and another studio because there's other studio too. We see the fact that we don't we just not have the the duty to build our own studio and live our life. We have the duty to build our studio, but also the ecosystem that will make all the talents. And there is so much good guys, young guys and girls around there are better than me. And we have to build an ecosystem to make them. Uh, evolve without the pain we have to live. And something I think I share with a lot of uh, other game developers in Africa and cre animation creator, I think everyone is like working on it, build our own ecosystem. Now for the support, we have like a political support that we, we have from our government from now. Uh, we are working hard, but there is no money. There is this thing about there is no money for it. Uh, but we are working hard to make them see the fact that they have to fund it because it's a great way to make exportation without resource you know if we make a lot of yeah. games that are played around the world it's a lot of usd and euros and all money that we want to attract here without the pain of thing that's our vision in fact succeed in video game internationally and use the money to invest in all other sectors in africa with well, others that's people amazing that's really amazing so i hope um the government does you know like buy into it because as you said you are exporting like you don't need to to put things in a container and ship outside the country they just pass through i mean once you just have um, data whatever you're doing in in cameroon in your studio can get to amsterdam you don't need to start paying tax for you know all those shipments and and all of that okay um so your next question, and your last question is, um, do you have um, an enabling um, like environment? Do you have an enabling environment, you know, like to help you work? Like, do you have constant power supply? Um, the, the cost of the, the hardware, like the computer, the cost of the software, are they, are they affordable for most? Are there some subsidies? Um, maybe given by the government? How does it work? Okay, so far what we have uh, for us is like when you import uh, hardware, IT hardware in Cameroon, there is no tax for it. So you can have uh, IT equipment without a lot of uh, cash here. And we are pretty good to get good, um, you know, the, the stuff when a big company, uh, how do you call it in English? When a big company change uh, their computer, and there is a Cameroonian okay. going and take it everything in the trash and come sell it. But you get like the, the, the previous biggest computer two years ago. Okay. And that's it. And we also have this 
big timing like mobile money, API are finally good for games. This is the okay. super timing we're waiting for. Like people now mm. can pay in games with mobile money. It was impossible oh, two years crazy. ago. And now it's mm. possible on a very, very good way. For energy supply, uh, it's like we have electricity like four days on five. Uh, right now, there is some glitches. We have bought a group. Uh, we have good internet uh, connection. The government asked to the local operator to give us at least, at least um, a good internet connection. And we are very close to the Minister of Communication. She's really fighting to get to all tech African, uh, all tech Cameroonian good connection, but it's had a lot of political and geopolitical even fight behind this. I will finish well, quickly by really saying amazing. that in fact, our most, but I will do it quickly. The, the most amazing challenge we face, I think African creators is a generational problem because like you said, the one in charge, I don't, I think bank cannot give us the money of some other people, but there is people like African Bank of Development, for example, they are there to fund this kind of stuff. But I don't know in the way they work, there is, I feel there's a lack of dynamism a lack of vision. I don't know. It's not a, I don't shot on them because I think they do a hard work in a hard condition, but there is something where they, are, they, they miss the right people in the right room. That's what I can say from my little perspective. A lot of people who know how to do stuff can never see the one who can fund it because the system don't hollow it. And that's something we want to fix. We have to fix as a generation. Well, thanks so much. That was really, um, that was really enlightening. Well, I mean, um, the power situation seems to be the same in several places. And I think in some places it's even worse. Like in my country, Nigeria, most times you better um, also have a backup and be able to generate your own power by use of generators and inverters and all sorts of things. So it's really amazing that you're close to to your minister of communication and she's trying to get people working in tech and i'm sure other people to have constant power supply that's really um that's really amazing i mean i hope other people in other african countries i mean they get to emulate that and that we really get to the stage where um, our power supply will be constant because without power you can't you can't do anything. Okay, so our next questions will be for Frederick. Are you a self-taught animator? And um, if you aren't, did you attend animation school in Ghana or in Africa or outside the continent? And um, if you attended school outside the continent, did you see other Africans and Ghanaian students in your in your school? I know there's a lot of questions. I think you got it. I think you got the oh, questions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got I got a question. I got a question. I am I am self-taught. Okay. I have never attended any animation uh, school or university. Uh, I, I taught myself the animation because I had no other way, because I did not go to university to finish it. So I had to show myself animation by going on YouTube, uh, by watching other people's methods and then putting my methods to it. So I created my own timetable. So I was going to school, my own school by 
seven till 11 and then I stop and I break time, my own break time. I have my own book and I was reading and learning. And then as the years were going, I was understanding it by myself teaching. That is how I learned the animation bit by bit. And then it's, it's stuck in my mind. Well, wow, that's really disciplined. So your, your Frederick school was for how many years? Like, was it for two years, three years, four years? Yeah. The Frederick school was Frederick. for, yeah, it was for your four years. Virtual school, wow. So yeah, you had this timetable for four years, seven yeah. to 11, then break. Yeah, seven to 11. I was, I was following it, but I'll, I'll be honest, like I wasn't following it as like to the T, like a perfect school, but okay. I would say I was really like, I was really on the, you know, following the hours of how I was supposed to do the things and I was doing them and I was getting better at it. And I, I could see, and the thing that really got me to continue is I could see the improvement. So I could see that, oh, I couldn't draw this character before and now I can draw it. I, I developed a way of drawing characters on profile, drawing characters in the front view. And I, and I saw that, oh, wow, this is actually working. If I continue doing this, I would know uh, the animation of somebody that went to school as well as he he understands it, I will understand it. So I, I decided to continue doing it. And then I realized that, wow, somebody has gone to school four years for it. And I understand the same things that he does, though I did not you know, go to school. Well, that's amazing. That's really um, amazing. And with this, your four years of um, schooling, Pretty. were you just, were you just um, schooling or did you intern virtually with some people as well did you or you just um try to learn what you could for for the four years did um, you maybe um work with another studio trying to put what you had learned into practice of course uh, during the four years most of the people i could find that were animators that were weren't around me in my environment so i i it was really hard to find animators in my environment because of uh, there are no there are schools, but they're not really schools in Ghana for animation. So it's either you go outside to learn it and you will, might not come back to Ghana because there is no actual structure for you to make money in Ghana with animation. So most of the people that go outside stay outside with the animation. So I had to go online on the internet. So that's, uh, I'm talking about like four years ago, I was on the internet constantly. I always found a way to have internet so I could, you know, talk to people in England, talk to people in America. We created communities around, for example, the, the animation software I'm using, which is called Moho, Moho 12. We had a community around it to learn. Since they released the anime studio, we started as a community and we were learning the, how to do things and tutorials, teaching ourselves online. So I send something to someone. He's like, no, you can't do it like this. You have to do this. He sends it back to me. I understand it. I send it to somebody in Russia. He tells mm -hmm. me this, that, that. That is how we learning the thing. And we developed it to an extent where the program actually noticed us. So the program asked me, for example, uh, to provide them with templates, which are examples, if you're using the program for the first time, that you can use and look at to develop your skills. So if you mm -hmm. open the program, you see Frederick Kwashi as one of the people that provided some templates for that program and I'm credited in that program because of the communication I had with the people outside and how much of my presence was in the community of uh, Moho 12 and how I learned with it. So mostly it's the people outside of Ghana that I worked with. In Ghana, it was it's very few. Well, that's amazing that you're part of a community and then a particular um, 
process and or even has you know your 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 name attached to it that's really that's really awesome i mean it's like each one teach one so it also shows that we all have a part to play we shouldn't just all always be at the receiving end you have contributed so much to that you know software just like maybe some people will contribute i mean i don't know how tv paint or maya and all works but it's just like having someone also contributing to those so great job well done so um your next question is there a good reception within your country and outside of it for african stories you know like your animation legend of um anansi the spider or is there still a higher affinity for foreign content like um sophia or dora the explorer yeah that's that's a that's that's a good question because that's something that uh, i i keep telling people about you, you you see like the animation and most things that are digital art and digital form that people consume are sold to people for people to consume it so obviously there will be a higher affinity for dora the explorer for two reasons uh the first reason is dora the explorer the volume just the sheer volume of the amounts of animation around dora the explorer dora the explorer should have over 100 episodes so it gives you a broader sense of what dora is what dora does uh, her friends and everything around it but since we in ghana we don't have budgets we don't have the resources so when we make an animation, we can't make animations volume, like we can't do a series that would have a lot of episodes. It makes it a little bit harder to, to go against people that have big budgets and that can have marketing teams that market the animation in different corners of the world. So when they come with the, with the marketing of the Dora the Explorer, they know exactly who to talk to, uh, how to talk to the person and how to sell the product, which would be hard for Legend uh, of Anna Said the Spider, which is a big story in Ghana, to sell outside of Ghana would mean that we would have an army of marketers to sell it out. So it's complicated for us to, to beat Dora the Explorer here if we don't have you know, the support that we need. So yes, of course, the affinity for Dora the Explorer or other ones that are coming from outside is bigger than... Uh, Legend of the of, of like the one that I made, Legend of um, of Anasi the Spider. But there's a but but I would still say though that that there is a good reception to the animation in the country because of like what I did. There was a good reception for it on TV, for example. And I made another one called Good and Chicken, and it was going on running on TV for ten weeks, and a lot of people liked it because it is it shows them themselves. Like the Red Explorer is not. Yeah you know, an African person. So you cannot relate to that person. But because of the marketing, it enhances. So it's more like she's more like a, a bigger person, more, not just uh, where she comes from, but she's more like Dora the Explorer instead of what she is. But when you watch Legend of Anasi the Spider as a Ghanaian, you're proud that, oh, that is my story. And it's been told in an animation form. And I can relate because since I was young, these are the stories they told me. So I want to watch this. The diaspora people want to watch it because they'll be like, I miss my country. And this animation makes me feel like I'm back home because the people have the accent. There's a Ghanaian accent. I know this story that my mom used to tell me when I was young. That is exactly why we chose Legend of Anasi the Spider to, you know, to make animations around it. Oh, well, that's amazing. I guess we need to, to start from somewhere and we, we need to tell our stories ourselves 
in whatever way we can. We don't always have to wait for the big studios, you know, to start um, coming to our countries or picking stories from our plate, uh, our places, and and um, and telling them. And I guess people always people look out. People see what um, people see what they we do, and they will eventually um, reach out when the, the the time is up. I only just wish and hope that. Um, our respective governments, you know, would see the, the jewels, the diamonds that are in our own countries and actually support us because um, maybe they're not really seeing it. And that's why they, they, they are not um, supporting because like in my country, there's a lot of emphasis on music, on comedy, on, on, on film, you know, like Nollywood, which is amazing, but animation, which is not only for children, because many people have that notion, can also go very far and help in telling um, our stories. All right, so your next question, do you have um, an enabling environment in, in, in Ghana? And do you have any form of um, government support? Government support? No, no, no government support when it is in, 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 in the sense of the animation. But enabling environment, I would say it all depends on the perspective of how you see it. I would say it's enabling for me because uh, the stories that I'm telling are Ghanaian stories. So it enables me to be more inspired because if I go out, I could see trotros. Trotros are like Molues in Nigeria. Like okay. the, so let's say, for example, I want to draw uh, a Molue and I... If I'm not in, in, in Ghana, it would be hard because I'll have to go on Google and check for it and see exactly how it looks like and if it's rugged, how to design it. But okay. in Ghana, it enables me to have inspiration of, oh, I can just go to like a market and see it and see what's happening in real life and okay. get inspired by that and be like, okay, this could be a scene in one of the animations that I'm making. So as an enabling environment, I don't think it's that bad. Um, and I think also uh, the, the main problem, the main problem would be budgeting, right? But even, even with the problem of budgeting, it's still possible to, to come up with ideas and, 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 and shortcuts to create things, especially now with all the programs that we have. So I think it's still, it's, it's, it's enabling at a, at a certain percentage. But the government does not support the growing animation space. We do things ourselves. And the thing that we really need to do is to create associations so we can further enable ourselves and you know, make it without the help of a government, hopefully. Are you talking about enabling environment? <laughs> there was just a power yeah. cut now. So I was um Okay, can you hear me now? That plunged into yeah I could hear you I could I was plunged into darkness somehow so I had to switch on my alternative power source all right okay so um what you've mentioned is really um I mean it's really like I mean amazing and all because I mean as you said coming out so you are within this environment that inspires you you know stimulates you but we all want um, things to be so much um, better, I guess. So, but at least we we are trying to use what we have, you know, to get what we 
to get what we need. Okay, so my question now is for, for Cabello. I think your own country is a bit different from ours because your country seems to um, give a lot of support to the creative industries and I mean, animation and, and all, because um, interestingly, the top five grossing films of all time in your country, for two of them are animation, animated feature films. You know, that's um, The Adventures of Zamzazia and, and Kumba. So, I mean, for a country like yours, to have two animated features as part of the five highest grossing, I mean, I'm sure that would also help in, in some way, you know, like for some, and these films, you know, they, they went to international cinemas. Your country seems to, to also have well-established animation-specific schools, unlike our own countries that many of us working in animation, you know, we're all, we're mostly self-taught. YouTube has been our friend for God knows how long. And even recently, the animation school, you know, celebrated their 20th year anniversary. You know, that's, that's really um, something. And, and they have um, a lot of their graduate films in several international festivals and award schemes like ANSI, BAFTA, and oh, in fact, on, on, on their um, Instagram page, recently they said, well, 120 awards in 20 years. I mean, that's quite a lot. That means they were like getting six, let's say they were getting like six awards, you know, like every, every year. So what, what do you think um, gave rise to this um, in your country that it seems to be ahead of all the others, you know, in the continent by way of schools, productions, and I mean, and, and all of that. Is there a is there a secret formula you can share with us? <laughs> uh, what do you think? <laughs> uh, thank you for the question. Um, I suppose South Africa seems ahead because of the various initiatives that we have. We do have a film school because I also went to a film school and a lot of them are roughly 20, 25 years, that kind of age. And maybe it has to do with the fact that um, sanctions were lifted in 19 and we we had democracy in 1994. By the way, I was born in 1994. So maybe that's the correlation. With all of that, uh, the government probably takes its presidents from other countries. And so that's why we have the National Film and Video Foundation. And we have different film commissions in, in the major provinces where they are mandated to actually help uplift the film industry, which will then include animation because the government has seen that, okay, films can be a tool to actually help our economy. And I also just think with Triggerfish, having had those two feature films that you mentioned, Kumba and um, Zambezia, having had those films be successful in an international setting, I think then allows the people in other countries to realize that, okay, South Africa as a country, and then I guess by extension, Africa as a whole, is actually a place to focus on and a place to start talking to. Um, so I really think it's just people taking initiative on their own and um, that allowing the industry to seem like it's ahead. And, and I emphasize the word seem 
because as much as we have a lot of these good things, which I'm thankful for, because I've also benefited from some of them, we also have a lot of um, bumps and things in, that are a work in progress. For example, I studied animation in South Africa, but I found myself having to learn things um, with tutorials with my two other classmates and teaching ourselves. So it's a, uh, it, it, uh, it's good and bad, you know. Yeah, but you're still lucky. You, you had a place to go school at, and then you still had to, you know, argument that. I mean, that happens for, for many um, courses, I guess. Like even when I was in art school, what they teach you in school, you learn, but you need to do a lot of, you know, learning and reading on your own. So that's, it's still great that, you know, you, um, you had the opportunity. So that brings me to like my, will I say second question for you? So you, you, you studied animation in, in your country, South Africa, and also in France. So um, why, why did you um, choose to study, you know, like in these two um, different places and was one before the other? Like, did you study in France first and then you said, okay, let me come home or it was um, the other way, it was the other way around. And, you know, schooling in the two different continents and I mean, I'm sure schooling in France came with some other very interesting things. What has been your experience, you know, with the, with the two places? Um, that's a, actually a very good question. Um, so I studied in South Africa at a school called AFTA. And uh, because my family is full of academics, it was non-negotiable. I had to find some sort of degree program, even if I decided I'm going to do animation. And uh, we found the degree program and uh, it was good for what it was, but it had a lot of weakness in on the animation side. Um, and, and oh, I started in South Africa and then I went to France. So when I finished the undergrad portion of that degree in 2015, um, I decided to carry on, come back home to Johannesburg and do the honors program. And I was the only fourth year student. They hadn't had one at the school for almost 10 years. And they didn't really have a curriculum for an animation honors student. So I remember we went to the, the head of the department's office with my mother and we spoke with her and we said, okay, what are you teaching me? Because this is what I want to learn. And um, I remember telling her that I would like to learn about the business side because I'm about to, I'm in fourth year, which means I'm supposed to work after after this. So I need to know how do I start working in animation. I remember I said, if possible, I would like to do an exchange program. The school didn't manage to do the exchange program, but uh, my mother and I found this character animation summer school at Gobela l'école de l'image. Olivier, you can correct me if my pronunciation is terrible. And um, they, uh, we managed to find that program. And so I went to France while I was still in fourth year. So I was, I was a fourth year student, but also in France at their character animation program. And then I remember the last thing I wanted to do was I wanted to gain work experience while studying because I one of the reasons why I started, I decided to do a fourth year was because all of the internship programs that I had applied for, I would get up to the interview stage 
and then I would get rejected because uh, their excuse was that I'm too focused on animation and not on live action, which is the, the main part of the film industry in South Africa. And so I knew that while I'm in fourth year, I must find a way to work so that I can uh, leave school with my degree and work experience. And it was the most stressful time as a student. And uh, my mom was like, yeah, you'll thank me later. I am thanking her later, but it was very stressful. And um, the benefit of having studied in my country and then in another part of the world was in my country, I got to see um, where we are as a country, you know, what parts are developed, what parts aren't, where there's weakness. Um, but studying overseas, especially in France, where they have this robust animation um, industry, and they also have a lot of government support. Um, my teachers there, they, the one teacher worked on Disney animated films, the classic ones like Tarzan and, and um, uh, Mulan and all of those. And I remember my other teacher also worked on Avatar, the one with the blue people. And um, hearing them talk about their experiences, seeing their examples and um, just having a more qualified teacher for that short period of time accelerated my growth. Um, and so that's obviously why I am an advocate for some level of education because it's harder when you have to teach yourself. You don't know whether you're going right or wrong. You have to uh, uh, learn and stumble and, and grow as, as you learn by yourself. Um, and I remember once I finished there in France and came back to South Africa and finished my fourth year, I felt like a real animator for the first time. So all these four, three and a half years I was studying in South Africa, I didn't feel like a real animator. I didn't feel prepared. But after having that short experience and listening to the lecturers, hearing them talk about character emotion, character performance, I brought that into my animation that I do. And I also even adopted the French animation software, TV Paint, which um, we use at Cavlo Studios. And it's not that commonly used in South Africa, but I found that it translates so well for hand-drawn, digital hand-drawn animation where you love to draw, but you're not trying to animate on paper because no, we're gonna use computers, <laughs> it's more efficient. And so I, I adopted um, TV Paint. So just Getting that international experience broadened my view on top of the, the studying that I did in South Africa. Well, great. But when you say your school, the where you, you schooled, there was more emphasis like on live action than animation. Um, was there any particular reason you did not want to go to a specific animation school? Because like animation school that just celebrated its 20th um, year anniversary, they focus only on animation, I would think. And um, a friend of mine, I mean, a Nigerian, he, he, he's an artist. He actually went to VIT to study animation as well, character animation to be precise. So um, is it because, as you said, maybe because they're from a family of academics, it was seen, it was frowned upon that you just go straight ahead only into um, animation. So with the animation school, it was there on my list on, of South African schools I wanted to go to, but um, they only offered a diploma at the time. And so mm -hmm. because my family really highly values academic education, they were like, no, sorry, girls, you need to get a degree. You can't get a diploma. So any kind of hopes and dreams were dashed for going to the animation school. 
And I am thankful for it because then I got a holistic view of the film industry. Because when I was at film school, I did producing, I did video editing, I did music performance, I did animation, I did writing. Um, and so even though my in my final years, I majored in animation, I had the overall view of the film industry, which I find when you maybe specialize too soon, then you don't get that exposure. And uh, because I own a business, it, it makes more sense to me to have an understanding of an ecosystem more than just being specialized right away. And even with programs like VITS, they do, they have a 3D animation program, um, but you can only enter into that after doing your first two years of a, just a general bachelor's degree. And so I didn't want to do that. I wanted to go to a place that was a bit more practical than, than theoretically driven. And so then mm -hmm. I, I went to, to AFTA. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm at, I'm at the end of that tunnel, so it worked out. <laughs> well, that's great. So going to, to my next question, which I find, I'll say apt, because two of us here, it's only two of us. Well, it's a panel of four people, but there are not so many women working in animation. And even the international um, animation organization called Women in Animation, they've had like a catchphrase or hashtag 50-50 by 2025, that by the year 2025, the, the plan is for the I mean, equal percentage of men and women, you know, working in animation. So how has it been as a woman working in animation in your country, you know, and running your own studio? You, you, it's different from being a freelancer, like, you know, you, you freelance, you know, if someone, if um, an animation company, an established animation company, you know, needs an illustrator and all, you know, you do that. It's different. You, I don't know whether immediately fresh out of school, you just launched Pablo Studios and then you're running your own shows. So how has it been? Um, it's been overall a really positive experience and an experience that has been growing my character personally. Um, I did, I did start Cablo Studios fresh out of school um, after I finished fourth year and I finished my internship with the National Film and Video Foundation. I decided, well, nobody's hiring me. I have a degree. We're not going to be a statistic. I'm going to hire myself and start my own company, um, which didn't really fully comprehend what that meant. But I decided, okay, I'm going to hire myself. We'll see how it goes. But being a woman in the animation industry, I think because animation is not as aggressive as live action, even when you're in spaces where it's mostly males, the environment is um, a positive environment. It's a welcoming environment. And I guess because I am black and I'm young and my, my skin color and, and my face is an unusual thing in these spaces, it's welcome because it's like, oh, come bring the fresh perspective, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I think the other thing that also helps is because I run a business, I'm not a cog in the machine. I am having conversations at a, at a much higher level than I would have had if I had just joined another studio. So I enter into rooms where there are people who are making decisions about the budgets that their companies are supposed to spend on for that year and the communication budgets. And I'm there and I'm able to influence those discussions by presenting medical animation. And I think 
um, what actually helps me in those spaces is my mom. My mom is my business partner and, and you know her, Adibimbe. My mom is Dr. T and yeah. she's the head of business development and um, of medical animation at Kevlo Studios. And she's there as my mom. And so anyone who tries to um, take advantage of me because I'm young and all of that, there's immediately that barrier. So that, that kind of um, interaction is, is uh, cut off right away. But she's also there because she runs the business side and she's kind of like my mentor. And so she brings weight into the conversation of things that I might not necessarily know to ask about or to speak on just because I'm a young person who's still growing in, in my experience. Um, and so then when we get into the room, there's the weight of Dr. T's experience. And then there's like the edge of my youthful innovation energy and all of that. And so then it's a good combination when we come into the room and it's two women and it's mother and daughter. So, um, and I think it has also been a thing that encourages other, other young um, black women and non and non black women, because even in the room, when I'm teaching my animation students, there are usually more males in the classroom than females, but just seeing um, me there, not just as their lecturer, but someone who lives what I teach, it, you can see the light in their eyes, their eyes light up when they uh, think about where they can go in the industry. And in terms of 50-50 by 2025 at my studio, we have five employees right now and one of them is male. So it's more than 50-50. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow, that's great. You are really lucky to um, have as your business partner, you know, your mom who comes with a lot of... Um, experience as it were i mean many people don't have um opportunity some people i mean are even from homes that their parents are like you want to go and do that thing for children or something like how are you planning to make money from it you know is it viable so and quite a number of people i mean the they're even disappointed because you know there is a limit even though people live their lives there is you also want to get some form of validation at times from home, except you just decide to sort of be a black sheep. I mean, I remember a lecturer of mine in art school, you know, telling us that when he told his parents he wanted to study art, that his father said, if that is what he wants to do, he's not going to pay a dime of his school fees. And he went ahead, so he, he went to art school on his own money, but the great thing then, I mean, in Nigeria, at least when he was in art school, on like when I went to art school, all the materials and all were given to them for free. So at least he didn't have to, to pay for art materials, which are very expensive because they're, they're mostly um, imported. And the, by the time you do the exchange rate and all, of course, things weren't, um, they were much better, you know, then than now with respect to you know the exchange rate of naira to to foreign exchange so you have a lot you know like um going for you which is great because some people have tried getting pe um, people to partner with but they've been scratched and burnt i mean but there's some partnerships as well you know that have worked within our growing um animation space and that's why quite a number of people have just decided to go solo. But at times when you're going solo, 
it's not, it's a bit difficult to really get ahead because it's always great to have someone else that, you know, thinks like you, but also could think differently, you know, like um, from you and, and all of that. Okay, um, thanks so much. So we are coming back to, in case the other people thought I had left them, no, we're coming back to you. So Olivier, could you share some of the high points and low points of working in, in your specific area of gaming in the creative industry in your country? Okay, I will start by the low point to get an happy end. <laughs> uh, okay. Low point is like you say, the power outrage, lack of uh, human resource ready at day one. You have like the hardcore mode because beyond when you start to make a game in Africa, like everyone else in the world, you have to prove that your game can work, but you also have to prove that you are not a scam. <laughs> that's like special. Yeah, so that's the low point. Now the, the, the very high point are this. Uh, we, we have a blank space in our market, like African players have clean brain. They are not, um, if you manage to, to make them good games, you will be there, like their first good, good games for a lot of them. As a creator, it's a unique chance that everyone wants if they are in our place. Because you have the, the chance and the privilege to be like Nintendo in the 80s. Like if you do something very good now and you, you, you survive to the marketing hell, like Angry Panda said, it's like, yes, you will forge a new generation. And that's really interesting. Uh, something good also is that you your costs are very low to create stuff, so you can create great product from here if you with low money. But after that, you can sell it internationally if you put the right marketing money. So that's something good. And I will say something else that I see as a gaming studio. Uh, a mentor of mine told me once, we take a lot of, we are passionate and we all want to recreate Final Fantasy 50 and Street Fighter 103. <laughs> but we may lose the potential of creativity we have if we start to create games that can solve real problems for people around us. Maybe there is something in this blind spot that game designer don't see. And in Africa, we are in a good place to imagine that. And this sparked something in our, in our mind. And that's how now in Kiro Games, we are designing like a simulation game for business that will be used for funding uh, African entrepreneur. Like imagine that you are an entrepreneur, you want credit, but you have no traction. You know the traction. They ask, like, what is your traction? I hate that, for, that sentence. But... Um, but since you only have you, you don't have traction, you have never been somewhere where you can prove that you know how to do what you do. You go in the simulator and you prove that, okay, I know how to manage my shop. This is it. I have a virtual shop and I manage it with African condition. And the simulator will, will create a score that we can call your business IQ. And that's when investors say, oh, at least you know what you do, at least theoretically. So... This is just a glimpse of what can be done if we decomplex ourselves. That's it. I think we have bad things against us, but we have also a lot of good cards that we can see. And if we play on it, survive to the challenge, 
we can make a lot of stuff. And give me like 20 seconds to say something very interesting about government. For a long time, I waited my government to support me. <laughs> and uh, after reading a lot of books on how Chinese entrepreneurs and others make it, I realized that it, was, it will never happen. What is happening since four years is like I force my government to support me, but I change my, my narrative. I don't come to them and tell them anymore, yeah, support me, help me, because they will never help me. They have a lot of people asking for help. I change the narrative to make them see what they gain in what we do. It's always about everyone accept a deal if you see what he win. So I have to learn what my government wants and I have to learn how to walk into my government shoes and how to network into my government like a normal business guy. You know, there is this challenge that the people who work always come last in the networking room because we work too much. And while we work, there is a lot of people networking outside there without even a project done. And you see that they have been funded and they, they don't deliver. So we have to be the guy who know how to deliver, but we also have to be the guy who go in this meeting, not political meeting, and don't say Majiba told me to enter the party. No, I am, in, I am against my party, my main party in Cameroon, but I know how to network with them. And this is a skill we have to, to get. Well, that's great. So um, with all the things you are trying to do, and since we don't know your exact um, pitch, you know, like to your to your government, um, because maybe it's a secret formula. <laughs> um, would you say like the gaming, comics, and animation industry, you know, has-, has No, no, no um, secret at all, I can tell. No, no, I'm just even teasing. Would you say that the um, animation, comics, and gaming industry has employed, you know, like a lot of young people and also imparted more skills on them because you know you even mentioned what you are doing with the gaming that you know when you get people you know you you train them for like um they have some um existing talents and all but you now train them in gaming for like um six months so how like now if um an investor whether it's from your country or from outside wants to know okay your the 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 um, the growing industry in your in your country um for these three i mean aspects how has it, how many people has it um, like employed, you know, in the past, um, the past few years? Okay, Kiro Games employed 20 people, 23 people, and we want to become a 60 team in the next like four years. Uh, mm -hmm. What I think is like gaming and comics, I'm not sure for comic for animation because animation have a lot of uh, work job because they more, but gaming, Anywhere in the world, gaming is really elite. You cannot base a complete uh, GDP of your country uh, job creation on gaming because you will. it's hard to have 10,000 studio in a country. <laughs> you see 10,000 studio with 1,000 people in each studio. It will be very hard. But what I think is, let's say that, okay, gaming create like 10,000 direct uh, job in 12 African countries, even in 10 years, that's the maximum we will have. What I think is gaming will have so much money and we have the right mindset to be the one investing in agriculture, in education, 
everywhere else where the, the big jobs, the, the most job will come from. That's the challenge uh, with a lot of gaming studio we are tackling. We want to get the money running in the continent to invest in other more realistic stuff uh, to create more jobs. That's the power of gaming. That's what South Korea do. They have not like one million animator. I'm not sure. So uh, Cabello can tell more truth about it. But they were like, they do a lot of animation with an elite part of the population. It gives them a lot of money and they can invest it in some regular business uh, and create more jobs. So that's it. All right, great. Like um, in my own um, country, Nigeria, it's, it's very heartwarming. I mean, to see the growth over the past few years. Right now, there are three animation studios working on three different feature length um, films. And last year in, uh, in December, I mean, we, we, history was made when the, the first Nigerian animated feature film, um, Lady Bucket and the Motley Mobsters, you know, went to the, went to the cinema because, you know, with people, different people have been trying to, to make animation, you know, to go to the cinema. So that was great. And then um, the same December last year, I mean, I'm sure you heard about the, the Disney Kugali, you know, like um, partnership. And that was really amazing. Yeah, as well. very, very good inspiring, mm -hmm. very, very heartwarming because they are a Pan-African country and um, company comprised of two Nigerians and I mean, a Ugandan and, the Ugandan in a BBC interview, you know, had said that, you know, they, they, all of them spoke and then they continued to tell African stories. And then interestingly that, you know, they were going to kick Disney's whatever. And I think based on what they said, but of course, based on their word, because you can't just talk empty and then you don't have anything. When um, Jennifer Lee announced um, in December last year that they were partnering, you know, like with Kugali, it was like, Wow, because I mean, if you notice, have you ever, you know, like when you see Disney posters for any animation, you only see their names, like you only see Disney or you see Disney Pixar. So for you, for, for me to see, and I'm sure for many to see Disney Kugali, you know, on a poster for a production that the title is even a Nigerian name and a name even from yeah. my tribe. I mean, it was just too mind-blowing. So it just shows that we need to just continue telling our own stories, you know, like ourselves. Because Kugali, you know, they do comics, they do animation, they do AR, they do VR. So, in fact, December last year was, like, really um, uplifting for, well, many of us in Nigeria, and I'm sure, you know, across the continent. Because one of my friends that, you know, is one of the co-founders of Kugali, he said, in fact people, his phone was ringing off the hook, even his parents at some point, you know, they were getting so many calls, people congratulating them and all of that. So we just have to keep, you know, telling our stories and, you know, showing to our own um, people in, in Africa or, you know, like um, wherever. Okay, so um, Frederick, your, your, your company, iCandy, is based in is based in Ghana. I mean, from what you yeah. said, but you you've got you you've gotten a lot of you know like international jobs 
done and all. Did this come as a result of referral or you just were always doing and putting your work out there? Or is it because of this community you already formed, you know, like online that you were able to get those um, jobs? Because it would be instructive to know how, you know, that yeah, um, was. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I started getting the jobs. Well, when I, when I was when I was working with the community, we weren't getting as much. We weren't getting any job. We're just doing it for learning. And then I got to searching because I got to searching on how can I sustain this new thing that I that I, that I learned. So and I started checking online for ways to make money. And I remember very distinctively that I went to Google and I typed how do animators make money, and that is where I saw. <laughs> That's a very direct search. <laughs> yeah, that's a very direct search. I was like, yeah, I just, I just want the money, you know. So I, that's when I saw that there are freelance sites, and so there are freelance sites, sites like Upwork, uh, freelance sites like Fiverr, PeoplePerHour.com, and all those things. So when I started seeing them, then I started applying, registering, and then finding clients on the buyer's request. And then in a little bit over a year, I started getting uh, clients that would come back. And I, and, and I also told myself that I have to be very professional about it. And I also read about, apart from just animation as in the technical part, there's also the part of uh, if you are to sell your art or if you are to sell your animation for somebody's project and you have to know how to talk to the client and all that. So I had to learn that. And... Uh, so I was very good to the clients that what that and that made the clients come back. And that's how I built the company on the money of the clients. And eventually I started building a portfolio of clients and, uh, and my skills got better and I started teaching others and then it grew up the company to be able to give the, the clients uh, quality and on time deliveries. Well, that's amazing. You know, what I've just seen from what all of you have said is like each one teach one. You know, Olivier, um, he learned on his own, he was honing his, his skills and all. And then um, he decided also to start training people. You do that, you know, as well. And then that now brings me, you know, to Cablo. Recently, I mean, I, I don't know if um, registration has closed now. You know, you want to do this um, animation re um, residency program. Um, that is virtual. So how has the re reception been? Because there are already animation schools in South Africa. And then Cablo Studios is run by this young lady and her partner is her mom. How long has she been in the business? And then she wants to start this residency, you know, program. Are people, you know, signing up? And how has the... Um, like experience being because it's like you want to increase the capacity because I guess you're also looking for I'm sure there are more skill sets I mean there are more people skilled in different aspects you know maybe in your country but I'm sure just like you said you had to learn a lot of things you know like on your own so what necessitated this your virtual residency program and how has the the response been is it free like, if I want to join, can I participate or I have to pay some rent? <laughs> no, the residency pro. The thank you for asking about the Cablo Studios virtual animation residency. It's also actually as a result of the pandemic. The president, along with the National Film and Video Foundation, 
created this big fund that would help all kinds of um, uh, companies um, in South Africa and animation schools and um, film schools in general to kind of bounce back from the pandemic. And so we applied and, also, and received the, the funding to be able to do this program. And what it is, it's actually an opportunity for the people that we select to launch their careers. So what we're doing is for the next three months, the applications actually close this Sunday on the 18th. For the next three months, we choose our candidates. Um, we're gonna have up to five of them and um, we're gonna help them make their first short film. And these candidates are going to do virtual workshops with us. They will shadow our team on some of our commercial projects and then they will make their own short film in, in these three months. And the reason, and these candidates, they're either recent graduates or they have up to two years experience. So they're very junior level. And the reason why I decided let's do a residency instead of some kind of training program or anything that's like an animation school, because I realized that just making one short film opened so many doors um, for us at Cablo Studios that we want to repeat that for other people. And I remember it was Comfort Arthur, the, and you know Comfort Arthur, the Ghanaian British uh, yeah. animation director. She said to me at Cape Town Animation Festival, we met her and we were so excited by who she is and what she does. She was like, just make a short film, just make a short film. And so then I was like, okay, I don't have any ideas, but I'll make a short film. And from making that short film, um, that short film went to Annecy and then to other festivals. And then it opened other doors for us to make different projects with different people. And I realized that let's rinse and repeat for other people uh, because um, a lot of funding opportunities, they're not available to you if you're a first time filmmaker. It's like what Olivia said, the world outside says, show me you're successful and then I'll give you money. So it's the same thing with a lot of funding opportunities. They expect for yeah. you to have made at least one project uh, yeah. to show that you have experience, that they can trust you, that you can deliver. And so if we have this residency where we help these um, residents make their first short film, then they can then use that to either find a job somewhere else or use that short film as an opportunity to make an even bigger project based on that same property or on something else. And also because um, what's happened is there has, has been a really positive response. We've, we've done email marketing, we've done social media marketing. I've, I've contacted my own previous students directly and said, apply. What has happened is that the reception has been positive because I've shown in other ways that my intention is to always impart a skill that I have onto others. And that's uh, one of them is the business of animation podcast that I do. Um, where I share whatever it is that I'm learning as I build an animation business. And then I had my YouTube channel where I would post things. And of course, I actually teach animation at, uh, I taught at uh, different universities in South Africa and guest spoke there. So I have been a person who teaches animation. And so that intention is there. My mother's sitting next to me. She gave me a note to mention Triggerfish, but I'm not entirely sure what she wants me to say about it. <laughs> But I think the tension from Triggerfish as well has also helped us to uh, get get more 
um, eyes on the residency. Did you want me to say something <laughs> about it? <laughs> oh, they, oh wow, they also... that's, that's really great. I mean, I, I wish you, you know, great um, success with it. We're running out of um, time and I just still have like a few um, questions to ask. So my question is for Frederick now. So um, last year, um, I think the same December, um, your countryman, I would say Francis Y. Brown, he got his, his um, Mfora on, on Amazon Prime, which was really great. So like now in, in Ghana, you know, you mentioned your own um, animation was on TV. Do you have um, like other platforms, you know, you distribute your, your content on, or it's just like how for many people working in animation, it ends up free on YouTube, or if it could be monetized on YouTube or on Vimeo. How do you, how do you monetize? Have you been able to monetize your, I don't know, short films or, or series outside um, television? Monetizing has been has been really complicated uh, to be able to directly make money from the animation itself. It's been really complicated to do that. So we have to think outside the box because if there is a, an actual system where you give it to it and you are giving mechanical royalties or things like how music works, that would be great. But uh, we don't have uh, that exactly. We don't have uh, the way like Francis had his own taken by Amazon. Amazon is outside of Ghana. So it means that you would have to get contacts outside of Ghana and your arts is not enough. But like I thought of different ways that um, uh, things can be monetized. I'm, I'm, I'm still working on it. For example, there is one uh, I was thinking about product placement. For example, product placement can really help creators have a uh, budget. I've done this before and I'm going to do it in a bigger way. So let's say you have an animation and it talks about some guy and then he's doing things just like Family Guy or whichever other one. And in the animation, all the cars are, I don't know, Hyundai, for example. So Hyundai could have because to give you a budget for having put Hyundai, only Hyundai cars in the animation, or it could be Red Bull or Rush, which is the Red Bull of Ghana, for example, Rush Energy Drink. You could tell, you could go to them and present them with the fact that we're starting this animation. It's going to be about 12 episodes, and we want the characters in it to drink exclusively Rush. So even when they are drinking, if they're just casually talking, they would be drinking the Rush, which would you know, make the people want to drink Rush and they want to know why they want to drink Rush, but it's like uh, subliminal marketing. Yeah. Those, are, those are one of the ways that we're able to pull some funds by doing things like that. And uh, we, we, we also, you know, create, like do things like get close to MTN and have, if you have releases of your, your thing, you could, you could have a, let's say people use the data but they will use it. So let's say to it, it could be kind of like you're using data to watch something free. So you go and share the money with the people, the data. So I have my animation online on, on a certain site. You go on the site and watch it for free, but you are paying data. So we and the MTN would share that data. So we we'll take obviously a small percentage, like 20%, okay. 50%, but we will get it at the source. So we have to come out of the conventional way of thinking. So we'll go to MTN and be like, okay, MTN, we have this coming out and people like it. We have about 20 to 30,000 people actually watching this and they like it. So can we cut a deal and have 10, between 10 and 
out of the data that the people are going to use. And if you can monitor it to see that they are going to watch this, we can have, you know, percentage to continue this animation since a lot of the people working on it need to get paid, electricity needs to get paid, uh, all those little things, computers need to be upgraded when they get spoiled, they need to be repaired, all those little details for the, the series to continue. And if people really like it, then budgets always need to be found. And we always have, as Africans, have to think outside of the box because we don't have support directly. And we don't have a system, just like you said, like you asked me, if we have something like a Netflix or something like uh, YouTube monetizing is like the sole, the only thing that you could you could put your animation on and pray that, you know, it catches on. And apart from that, you have to use your mind and think of, you know, ways to source out that money in some way, just so that you can continue doing it because of how time consuming, budget yeah. consuming, animation is yeah wow thanks so much to all of you cabello um fred rick and olivier i mean it's been really um enlightening listening you know to um all of you and as i said we're out of time but just in one sentence i want you know each of you to just say like by 20 this is 2021 by 2025 where do you see the animation in in your your countries, you know, like reaching. I'll start with Fred. So, in like one sentence, 2025. How? What do you what do you envision for the animation industry in Ghana? I envision it's being more widespread. Okay, um, Cabello. Um, just because I'm talking from my experience from 2017 until now. I envision there being a lot more people who mushroom like me and uh, uh, pop up and take up space within the animation uh, uh, and entertainment industry in South Africa. Okay, Olivier, um, how do you see the, the gaming like industry, you know, in, in um, your country by 20, 25 we're not talking comics or animation now but like your own specific the the gaming where do you see it in four years time okay so in four years uh, what i see is like hero games have succeeded to get his uh, 500 000 users of our games and this will be like a boost for you know this guy waiting for us to succeed before believing it and there will be like a lot of interest in the region at least to support more studio and to to support the, the ecosystem this is what we build and yeah that's what i see all right great okay um so thank you so much everyone the conversation will continue i mean after here because i'll surely get in touch with um with everyone. So I'd thank you for coming. Thank you for participating. So I'd hand the mic over to Nelly, you know, like to to round up. So yeah, thanks everyone. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, everyone. Um, it's been a great pleasure listening to all of you. I mean, there's so many things that I've learned regarding anime. And I think uh, our audience also will learn a lot from um, from her discussion. 
uh, and that's exactly the, the goal of uh, the wave, you know, all these topics that are not like, I would say, mainstream on the continent and who are part of uh, up and coming industries definitely has to be discussed. And from all of your experiences, um, we are learning a lot and uh, we'll be very happy to share with the audience. So we will go through editing. Uh, and I think uh, this episode is going to be launched sometime this year. We will confirm to you, uh, Cecilia will confirm to you the exact date. And uh, she will also get back to you so you can send us maybe like a picture, a little bit bio of yourself so we can like edit the content for the promotion of, uh, of everything online. So I'm also going to thank you on behalf of Tosin that we couldn't make it because I, she's still in so many meetings at UNESCO right now. So thank you on her behalf. And uh, well, you guys all take care and looking forward to get close to any of your content anytime soon. Yeah, thank you so much for, for giving us the, the platform because I mean, it's UNESCO, I mean, UNESCO, UNESCO, it's UNESCO we're talking about. So yeah. I'm sure, I mean, it will lead to other more um, amazing partnerships and, and, um, and all of that. So yeah, thank yeah. you. Thank you so much. And uh, well, you guys take care of yourself and uh, let's be in touch. And yeah, we will. The, once, once the channel is on, we're just gonna share all the content and the details with you, so you can also share with your, with your people and people around you. Thank all right. you, guys. Thank you. Bye. 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 We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Wave. Found out more about the series on our social media accounts. Stories of life. We tell the stories of life.